Hello, interwebs. It's Gabe. It's been a while. It probably hasn't actually been a while if you're using our app, but that's beside the point. Anyway, I want you guys to listen to a really fun interview. Well, it was fun for me. <laughs> it's questionable if it'll be fun for you, but that's always questionable. You're, you're listening to Kind of Epic. It's, it's kind of in our name. We, we let you know that there is the possibility of things being epic. But if you're disappointed, you know, we did give you a disclaimer. We only promised it would be kind of epic. So uh, we're sticking to that this week with uh, a good interview with Matali Perkins. She is an author of a lot of fiction uh, geared towards children and young adults. And uh, the, precisely the type of person I would have loved to have been able to read when I was a kid. Because it's, it's all that kind of awkward teenage stuff that all of us nerds are very adept in. Uh, having had to experience in our lives, and uh, comes off uh, in her latest book, uh, which is called Open Mic. Uh, it's riffs on uh, living between uh, cultures, and um, we're really talking mostly about uh, about essentially what I write about at racepending.com, which um, we've got a lot of links to to our work, and um, David has helped uh, and our other co-founder here at Kind of Epic has helped me to record and, and to do a lot of interviews uh, on this subject, and uh, one of the, the ways that uh, we actually got started. In fact, something we talk about in our lost episode that you will never get to hear, guys. Sorry. <laughs> so it's a little bit out of keeping from what we normally do, um, but the, the way you can relate as, as fellow nerds out there um, it, is that there are some really fun nerdy stories in the book, Open Mic, and it's also talking, and hey, there's some Seinfeld references in our interview. Um, this is the closest I will ever get to a Seinfeld impression. It wasn't intentional, I promise. <laughs> that was a Seinfeld impression? That was a Seinfeld impression, David. David is looking incredulously, and he's like, he's like, I thought you were just being high-pitched. And I'm like, look, high-pitched and squeaky was as good a Seinfeld impression as I get. <laughs> I sounded the exact same. I sounded the exact same as I normally do? Yeah. Wow. That's, I don't, I'm disappointed. Do I normally sound? I don't normally sound like Seinfeld. Maybe a little bit. Maybe. Wait, you're saying I sound like Seinfeld? A little bit. That's not... I can't take that as a compliment. You know I despise Seinfeld. Why? Well, I don't... I don't know why I dislike Seinfeld, okay? I like Larry David. I don't know how it's possible physically as a human being for me to enjoy Larry David and dislike Seinfeld since they're essentially the same person. They're not the same person. They're fictionally the same person. No. Larry David is uh, George. Larry David is George? Yeah. Well, maybe I like George and I don't like Larry? But how is that possible? Larry, Larry David's character on Seinfeld with George Costanza. Hmm. He doesn't look like George. No, he's a bit shorter. Yeah, he's shorter. But balding. Yeah. So. Did he write for, did he work for uh, the, the one of them sports teams in uh, New York? I don't know, maybe. New York. Anyway, um, there's, uh, there are some audio issues in this episode. So, yes. Hey, it's David. Gabe just moved the microphone towards me, considering I was letting him do all this. But, uh, just heads up, it is a phone interview, and there's some weird feedback. And, uh, you might hear me fiddling around from time to time in the background by accident, trying to solve said feedback issues. Anyway, back to Gabe. I, you know what I like about this introduction? It lets them know that you actually do produ producing. Like, you actually are, are present in any time we're doing an interview or were other than the ones we did at Gen Con yeah. as the first time that you didn't have to really do any production work. 
David just did an awesome like air air fist thingamajig that I am not very good at describing. We learned in the interview that my vocabulary could use some work, honestly. <laughs> so that's part of why we're talking to to somebody who is uh, is a teacher, uh, an, uh, a teacher of uh, of storytelling, and uh, that's pretty cool. So again, if you guys are ready, and even if you're not. This is uh, our long-winded introductions end, and now you can listen to Pantali Perkins, and she's going to talk. Uh, essentially, um, we wanted to um, to start by saying, "Hey, uh, we are here with uh, Matali Perkins. Uh, she is uh, an author and uh, and a blogger. Here, she has uh, a lovely website. Uh, she calls uh, her Fire Escape, <laughs> and uh, she has just published a new book that is coming out uh, this October, um, which is called Open Mic, and it is uh, kind of riffs on uh, living between uh, two cultures, uh, as the the subtitle there. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, just tell us a, a little bit about yourself and about the new book." Um, so, so happy to be with you guys. So I was born in India, and uh, we immigrated to the uh, United States in New York when I was seven years old. Um, we lived in New York City for about four years, and then we, um, uh, my dad got a transfer out to California. So when I was in seventh grade, we moved out to California and pretty much um, settled in a all-homogenous suburb except for us. Let's just say we were the spice in the neighborhood. So it was quite a shock um, entering that uh, kind of culture because New York was very diverse. And so that was when I started realizing how people saw me differently because I was Indian, because I was brown, and uh, really was looking to stories for um, some balance in trying to understand all that. And there weren't really very many stories featuring kids like me at that time. So um, when I decided to write, I that was one of my goals was to create characters that would be that were growing up along the margins of mainstream culture and um, that, that that's really one of my big goals in writing is to present those kind of characters well and um, so that people can cross all kinds of borders to meet them as well so and uh, I will say for the uh, the new book we were quite happy to to have our little uh, one line uh, uh, one line cameo <laughs> from Jean Louis Yang's uh, script. I did not know that was going to be in there. That was that was really nice to see. Yeah. Uh, who, awesome. and so we like the work that you do. It's great. <laughs> well, how um, how did you um, uh, find authors for the book? I mean, were, was it uh, were there some uh, things that you wanted to reprint that you actively sought out, or were there there authors that uh, were just uh, attracted to to the idea of of what you're putting together with Open Mic? They are. Um they, they're all original pieces, and um, we I suggested some authors, and the, the publisher and I worked together. I, I really looked at social media to get a sense of who might write funny, even though they maybe hadn't written, not just funny, but like fresh, sort of a, an open mic kind of feel. That's kind of what I was looking for. So I, I looked at social media and um, found some writers that had that kind of an expressive voice um, and invited them. And then the publisher wanted some people as well, so we sort of collaborated in deciding who was going to present the material. But it's all original material, so that was um, that was our hope was that it sound really fresh 
like as if people were stepping up to a mic and sharing a, a story about what it was like to grow up between cultures. So you, I mean, you ended up writing a, a story for for the book as well, and doing the um, the foreword or the introduction. And uh, it seems like you chose the the same topic that that uh, a lot of the other authors have chosen, which is essentially uh, a kind of uh, as you said, maybe catering towards teens or talking about about some experiences uh, in high school. And uh, I, how much of that was was that was that a fictionalized story, or was that was that actually something that that um, that you uh, that had put out there from uh, from your your high school days? Uh, yeah, so um, fictionalized memoir. <laughs> the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Um, so, uh, but a lot of it taps into things I experienced when I was growing up. As I said, it was so strange to grow up between cultures because we came from a very traditional Indian home. Under our roof was saris and uh, you know curry and arranged marriages. And outside in high school, it was all about jeans and you know trying to get trying to, um, you know, date that cute guy. So it was a totally different, two different worlds. And um, so I tapped into that. I had actually shared some of those vignettes in a speech I gave at Book Expo about four years ago, and the publisher had heard that speech. And I think there was maybe a bit of a surprise because I, I made people laugh, and I don't think people were ready for that. I think they thought that I might speak about race and culture because that's what I've been speaking about for, for years. But they thought maybe I'd be a little reverential or serious, but I just think funny is so powerful. So I kind of made people laugh, and so then the publisher approached me and said, hey, would you like to uh, edit an anthology? So it came out of that talk, and a lot of those stories that I shared in the, in the um, open mic, um, I shared in that speech at that time. I would I'd say that is so consistent with the experience that we have even trying to do interviews on the subject because you you get um, whenever when we had to put together panels um, we would have um, for instance we had one guest um, who ended up being uh, on one of the panels N.K. Jemison and she had a blog post talking about like I don't seek out these panels because it's a really a fun thing like I really enjoy doing this and I must talk in this serious manner it's like no I do it because it is important as a publisher that this is a thing that I really wish I didn't have to do and it's uh, maybe and so there's a level of, of humor and approach from there and I think that is something that that is, is refreshing about the book is that you want to um, to explain that these don't have to be overly serious and somber discussions that essentially the thing that strikes me about the book is just it's it's a, a series of stories mainly about high school <laughs> like if you didn't yeah, put the subtitle yeah. on it I wouldn't have even wouldn't even have known that it was necessarily a book about about race or, or that that was the the central theme oh that's wonderful that you say that because that's one of my um you know, that's one of my goals in this discussion is to, to present stories about kids who are from different cultures but so that all kids could relate them. Um, sometimes in these, in, as we write these books, we hear from adults mostly, well, you know, I don't really serve that kind of a child or that kind of a student in my community, so I'm not sure if this book would be appropriate. But we're writing for all kids. We're not just writing for brown kids or black kids or whatever. So I really, I'm glad you said that because I think that's essentially what it is about being a high school student, not necessarily primarily about being, um, you know, a particular race or culture, but that definitely plays into it. Now, I will say, of course, there are, I mean, important important caveats to that is that there there are cultural contexts for each inside each of these particular families for for these stories or for um, the poems. There, I mean, you had a, a pretty um, diverse array of of authors, and I mean that in both the literal sense and in the uh, the the authorial sense there as well. And in terms of the genres that that they they work on, everything from like you said, Gene Yang and uh, his comic to we have uh, a poem in there, and then you have. Uh, essentially what are more autobiographical essays, as you say,
day, and and also um, you have have some that are just as you say, just comedic um, stories that are completely fictional. And so, I mean, right. how how as an editor did you strike that balance, and is that something that you were looking to uh, to do at the outset? Did you want um, this to be a mixed media book? Yeah, that was the goal that Campbell had from the start, was that would be mixed media. And we gave the authors a lot of freedom because we wanted them to pick something that felt right to them. So it ended up being a really nice mix. There was poetry, as you said, there was free verse, there was memoir, there was six. So it ended up being quite a nice mix. Um, and I was happy about that. I think when you're doing a, a topic that's about diversity, it's probably good to have a diversity of media as well. So that was that actually ended up being a nice part of the book. And I, I kind of want to transition from that and um, to, to say uh, one of the funnier things is the the opening that you talk about. Uh, essentially, you you have uh, your ground rules there. You're trying to make sure that people can kind of exhale, as it were, and say like, "Okay, I don't have to worry. This isn't a joke of racist, or this isn't a book of racist jokes. It's a book of jokes that may." in fact involve race because it can be funny there are funny and awkward situations that happen when anyone is growing up and that can be compounded if race is, is suddenly injected as uh, as something that people have to to contend with as a, as a kid so that i mean and you talk about um can you can you kind of explain what some of those rules were because i think for for authors who who are, are writing in that context i think it's it's legitimately helpful to say okay um this is this is one of the things that that helps it to not be offensive. That allows people to again let out that deep breath and not feel feel that this is something that it's okay to laugh at. Right, right. Well, it, you know, humor is powerful. I think storytelling itself is powerful. So it really becomes a question of power. Um, as I think about as about as I think about using humor as a way to talk about race, um, and so I did set some ground rules just because I felt like I don't know. I feel like it can be. It can be something that's used to alienate um, instead of build affection. So, so my first rule was that good humor pokes fun at the powerful, not the weak. And uh, there's a really nice video by Craig Ferguson when he was when Britney Spears was having her complete breakdown. Um, he did a like an 11 minute monologue on how this, this very topic that the best kind of humor doesn't doesn't pummel someone who's down, who's weak, who's broken, but really takes the aim at the powerful. So, um, so that's my first rule. The second one is that it always builds affection for someone who's other. So it it doesn't alienate, as I said. It doesn't. Um, when I teach this in my class, I teach a class on this uh, this issue of race and culture in, in storytelling, and I, I show some different clips, YouTube clips, to to show what I mean. There's some comedians who really succeed in this. At the end of the of the comedy riff, you're very you feel very close to the person who's other than you. And there are others who are really funny, but at the end of it, you just feel like you've been made to laugh um, at someone that's been pushed away from you. It's a wider rift. So I think that's another rule, that it builds affection, not alienates. And the third one is that the best humor is always self-deprecatory. Uh, and I think that's what makes um, that's what makes this a little bit more. Usually I'm very free about who can write for whom. Um, but when it comes to jokes and humor, I think because the best humor in this category is about yourself, it almost seems like it should be a little more restrictive. You, you see it in jokes, when, when people tell jokes, it's like, um, you, know, you can tell a joke about your own ethnic group, but when you tell a joke about another ethnic group, it just doesn't come off as well. So, uh, so I guess this is poking fun at your own culture. I think um, it's probably the best, the best, best way to stay 
out of trouble. I think of... I mean, there's lots, lots of areas where you can get murky there. Like, if I'm, if I'm biracial, what does that mean? Can I... Um, how, how, race, how much of that race do I have to be to be an insider to tell that joke? And so it gets it's a very complicated mathematical formula that I'll break down for you. But uh, essentially, <laughs> essentially, if you're, if you're 1 16th, then, then you're, you're just... You only get to tell one joke. In a monologue, I, I think that's 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 an accepted the fact. Drop rule is raising its ugly head again here. Oh. Yeah, it gets very complicated though, Gabe. It's like you know who has the right to tell what, but I think it's a question of identity and self affiliation, and you know if you're telling a joke as if it's one of us against me, like, uh, the humor is kind of about me. It's different than if the humor is about them. Uh, I think I'm thinking of the, one of the Seinfeld episodes where uh, I don't, which I don't often think of, <laughs> but uh, there was a, uh, a he goes to a doctor and he's he's concerned that the doctor is is intentionally like joining ethnic groups or religious groups so that he can get he can get joke he can get access to those jokes. He's like he's, like, he's already uh, Polish have, now he's Jewish uh, what's wrong? <laughs> he's cornering the market. <laughs> Well, that, you know, the question of appropriation comes up because, uh, you know, storytelling is powerful. It's a way to shape, uh, you know, who a, uh, who a person is, who a people are, and it's uh, and it goes deep into people's hearts. So I think it does get, it just, it, it gets a little bit, yeah, people people try to cross lines all the time. So and I, I'm not one to say, okay, well, there's a, an apartheid in storytelling. I don't like that because then we're all just constrained to memoir, right? So if we only tell stories about where our own identity then at the end of the day we can't write fiction because all fiction crosses borders so what where are you going to tell me that you can't, if you, i don't want to only write about bengali american girls who grew up in america in a certain time period I, so i want to give other people, people the same freedom but it becomes a question of power really if you're telling a story about someone who has less power than you then you better be careful. I, I think that's the bottom line. I kind of want to transition to to the subject of, of experiences in publishing, and then also, yeah, I guess, sure. in to that extent, also in um, in how perhaps even your books may get reviewed or, or marketed. Because you you wrote a blog post recently talking about the the fact that somebody reading Rickshaw Girl, or perhaps even reviewers reading Rickshaw Girl, might say, "Well, I mean, of course you relate to to X character because, like you say, you have that you're uh, you have the Bengali heritage or whatever." But you're trying. What you were trying to explain is, well, no, actually, I, I'm exercising empathy here. I had the complete opposite cultural experience as as the character who is the the or the protagonist of the book. And so, do you do you feel like if you're, I mean, if you're a, a writer of color, that occasionally you have to deal with an extra layer of, of tokenism there when you're presenting a work because suddenly you don't get. I mean, if you're a white author and you ha and you publish a book with a per person of color as the protagonist, you're saying, oh, well, they're showing a wide empathetic range. Or, but if it's if it's a person of color publishing it's like oh well they're just writing what they know i mean how do you how do you deal with that as an author uh, oh right. that is that is a, a really good good question i think the best way probably is just not to worry about it and tell the story um i feel for me um at first there were lots of blocks and people's expectations that i didn't understand and and limits and you know gatekeepers and things i didn't get it and in a way, that kind of served me well. I just went ahead and wrote stories. And then what came along was social media, which has been terrific because it's a great way for writers of, uh, you know, from all ba cultural backgrounds and all power backgrounds to showcase our voices. I and mean, that's what we're about, right? We're about voice. We're about writing, about wordcraft. 
But I feel like once I started using social media, I felt I was able to tear down a lot of those blocks and expectations and barriers. People would see my name and think, oh, she's an ethnic writer. And then they would follow me on social media and they would realize that I was, you know, I had, I had a sense of humor, I hope. I had a sense of humor. I had lots of interests that were wide and varied that were outside of just my little, that little cultural corner they were trying to shove me in. So I feel like social media has just blown things open for me and allowed me to showcase much more of my identity than just that narrow cultural thing that people seem to really either want or not want. Um, and that's been a great boon. So, and, and again, um, can you talk about the fact that, as you say, you have to act, you actually teach a course on, and in terms of, of race and, and storytelling and, and where that, that nexus is. I mean, what, what is generally the, the advice that, that you give to, to writers who, um, but again, in terms of, of deciding to, 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 as you say, stray from just writing what is memoir? Right. Well, again, I think it becomes an issue of power, and so I would, I always, I always give the advice of, um, you know, good research and a wide imagination, which means to read widely yourself, to cross lots of borders yourself, both in your life and in your reading. Um, and then um, I would say the, the third thing would be empathy. And I think I heard somebody once, I can't remember who it was, I think it was an illustrator, say, if you're going to cross a border of power to write a story or tell a story, then you better cross that border in person and hold a whole bunch of babies over there and just shut up and listen <laughs> for a long time before you can actually tell the story. And again, for me, it's not so much about race and culture as it is about, about power. So, um, so I think that that's probably what I offer to other writers is just do your research well as well as you can. Don't, you know, don't take shortcuts. Really enter into... Uh, all parts of that culture that you're you're writing about, and then um, you know pursue your your own uh, cross borders of your own. You know, you're widen your imagination by by reading lots of stories, by making lots of relationships. And if you can't travel in person, then travel through fiction yourself. Read read across borders yourself. And then third, develop that empathetic heart by really. The only way to do that is by real relationships with people. So that would be that would be the advice I would give. Uh, people. I try to do it myself, but you know, all three are hard. They're challenging. You have to take risks. You have to step outside of your comfort zone. And I, you had talked earlier about um, when you were growing up and reading and how important um, stories were to you. I mean, what were your favorite books uh, growing up? And um, kind of a side question here, a second question there is, um, were there any people that, that you could relate to on the cover of a book? I mean, is that because that's something that um, we've talked about often on the blog is um, is kind of the way that, that books get marketed. And the fact that, I mean, your books, frankly, have been one of, I mean, few that you can see in the young adult section, um, which unfortunately the young adult section is one where you're going to see more people of color on on the covers than, than in most other sections. And, and even so, it's one of relatively few where, where that would be the case today. And I wonder if that was still the same for you um, growing up or if there were any, any people that, as you said, you could identify with, um, whether it's in the covers of a book or, or on the cover itself. Yeah, so I like to think about good books as windows and mirrors. That's been talked about very widely in our, in our field. And so when I read, I wasn't thinking about myself primarily mm -hmm. as an Indian person. I was thinking about myself primarily as a person. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of myself primarily as a girl, even. I was thinking about myself as a person. And so I read very widely, and I found all kinds of mirrors in all kinds of books. 
Um, and at the same time, those books were throwing open windows to many different worlds, you know, whether it was 18th, 19th century, um, you know, Victorian England or um, a rural, rural part of Minnesota, wherever, whatever I was reading about, old, you know, favorite children's classics, I was seeing myself in those books. I wasn't thinking, oh, I can't relate to this character because we're not the same race. And so I think kids still read like that. I, I really do think we have to hand the power over to the reader and let the reader make their own connections with each story. So if you're going to read a book, say, for example, like The Kite Runner, it's going to throw a huge window up open into Afghan, Afghani culture and the history and some things we don't know. But it's also going to hold a mirror up for us about what it feels like to have great remorse, which is a human mirror, right? And I think children and young readers need to have that freedom to find their own connections to a story without any adult mediation. And so we've had a debate about covers for a long time, and I was asked to take a stand on the issue of covers. And um, so I just picked the side of, let's just get rid of all faces on all faces. <laughs> I could live because with that. I feel like then it's, it's really the power of kids' imagination. I could see us moving to a time where kids are designing their own avatars, and we're going to an ebook era anyway. So why not just let the kid imagine what the character looks like, especially for young adults? I'm imagining. Um, like for example, when I, when I read The Lord of the Rings, I was picturing Aragorn, you know, huge literary crush on him, kind of whatever, however I wanted. And then the movie was cast, and I thought, no, no, not, not that guy. Because, uh, you know, I hadn't cast him in my mind like that. So I want to give kids that same uh, power. On the other hand, I understand the other argument about the need for representation, especially for, um, you know, underrepresented groups of, of, of people in our, in our country. So I've seen kids, I've gone to, you know, multicultural book festivals and seen kids' faces light up when they see someone that looks like them on the cover. And so I see both sides of the coin. I think we're kind of in a transition phase. I'd like to transition to a place where we don't need any faces at all. But in the meantime, I think it is important to have some representation, especially of traditionally powerless groups in our culture. I, I was so just... I was just going to say I was picturing the uh, the uh, like I'm going to like video game box art here how it a lot of the times doesn't really especially older ones don't really have anything to do with what's inside the game and I was thinking of the first Mega Man and it's just this dude with a, a laser on the cover and it's this awesome like sci-fi thing that has absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with what's on the cover and I would lo I would kind of love that if that was how it was with with books if you had those kind of crazy out of the out of the way uh, covers. The question, the, the, the big question, though, of course, is: is do we all are we all in America, North America, at least many of us operating on a white default? So, for example, if if the cover isn't defined as an African American, um, are we just going to naturally imagine that that person is white? And I remember reading as a kid, I didn't do that. I didn't just think everybody was white. So, I just don't know if kids will step into that white default. And I'd like to see a great sociological study done about whether or not how prevalent white default still is. It's, it's, See if we can get to that place of kicking people off cover, kicking faces off covers, but. I think I think part of it is because they're I mean it's just the percentages like I said it's going into the bookstore and and the repeated images of of what is actually seen and so if that reinforces what what might be be there whether it's um, for for reasons of literary or just reading comprehension or if it's for for reasons of of whatever biases people bring whenever when they they come to any book as a reader but I mean it's uh, 
kind of wanted to, to, to ask you, I mean, like, when you do have to be explicit um, with a description of race, if you're trying to, to say that that's, that's a part of a dynamic for a book, or if you're, you're just having to write a physical description for a character, yeah. How, yeah. how explicit do you have to be? Because we've come up across that with a couple of the interviews we've done where um, even people were casting for the film and the people would who were readers would respond like well that that's not a person of color and it's like but no this oh, is the description yeah. <laughs> this is this is what they were always in the book and so i mean how how do you how do you deal with that when you have to describe i mean your characters physically in a, in a book right. well i think the story and the characters should dictate that not like you know good political intentions or i i i, I try to guard against over description and a narrative voice just because it's my own agenda then. I, I think if a character is noticing race and culture, a character can really comment on it, or if, if it's really part of... Uh, I try to avoid... Like I, notice, I notice nonverbal, and I think people don't really see that they're putting, putting that in, in their books, but I notice when somebody flicks back their long, silky hair, or somebody widens their eyes really wide, because I feel like that, that right then and there will exclude two, two races, right? If you have those two descriptions of long, silky, straight hair and big, wide eyes, then all of a sudden, you know who who that who that is not, right? So I I I mean I think the older the book, I, I feel like the let the imagination go, but I think you need some description. So I think the best bet is to let the story guide it, let the character guide it, not not the writer's voice being heavy-handed in it and trying to make it as multicultural as you can or. But, and I think also being aware of how a lot of this stuff gets into your book subconsciously. You know, I don't even think the writers who are putting in long silky hair are realizing what they're doing culturally. Um, you know, blocking out two different races with, with wide eyes and, and long silky hair. I don't think they're realizing that. So I think bringing that out up into our conscious mind that this is what we're doing. When somebody's turning pale, they're not, they don't look like me. You know, so if you're saying he, she turned pale in shock, all of a sudden, you define that person's skin color and race. You had you had a funny way of describing that in um, in your story. You were talking about um, <laughs> descriptions how how they show up um, in in the books that you were reading. You're like, well, your adjectives are more fun. <laughs> can you can you explain a little bit about about that? You know, lots of food cliches, right? I try to to encourage writers to come up with some new metaphors you know everybody doesn't have to be almond eyed or coffee skinned or whatever we've used for years and years and if you're defining some people's skin color when not all people's skin color it gets really complicated if you're using a you know a, you think someone's korean american but everybody else doesn't have a definer then what is everybody else defaulted to just being european american so it gets really complicated but i just try to encourage writers to think about it bring it into the light make sure you know your character so well that it's not just happening kind of subconsciously into the story in a way that you wouldn't want if if you really could see it. My so, problem my problem with food adjectives is they make me hungry. <laughs> You're describing <laughs> an appearance and I'm just like it's like, you know, actually it's I like, just really want coffee or I really want tea right now. Yeah. And every time I read any descriptions of brown or black people I'm like, I want coffee. I want coffee right now. <laughs> Yeah, we gotta we gotta do better than that. It's like you're you you as a person you sound like a delicious cookie or <laughs> it's strange descriptions eventually. Right, right. Yes, and we don't do that for all characters. We only do that for characters of color. You know, not not. I just I've noticed that to be such a trend. You only describe the skin color of people who aren't white. Unless unless they're uh, Mediterranean, in which case they um, they uh, actually I don't know olive skin maybe is also descriptive of perhaps a smell. I don't know. I'm not reading too yeah, much into it. Again, <laughs> again, 
Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough, but I think that if we don't think about it, then we default back to weird stereotypes that exist in the back of our minds, and that's no good. That's not good for our readers and not fair to us either. So we just got to bring them out, air them out, think about them. Uh, there's one of the reasons we reflect on that a lot in the blog is we there was a Tumblr post even that that became quite popular that we had shared um, that was essentially a breakdown where because there were so many issues of people encountering that and then just really wanting to hold on to that default opinion and then kind of frustrating some of the authors sometimes because again it isn't something where necessarily you do want to beat it over the head of somebody because it's not meant to alienate a reader you're supposed to as you say have that window on the world have that be the character have be a point of relation to whoever is reading but the post was was rather humorous and it was essentially the descriptions we've just been talking about like um auburn or all, the, all these other or the the kind of the like the coffee or things like that all or the crayon then eventually it turns into she was brown like a brown crayon or the, her skin was brown because she was brown or her skin was black because she was black and then the, the character defaults and she is white right <laughs> underneath and so it's, it's, a, it's a complicated discussion, but I think if we're not discussing it and we're not brainstorming, we're not using our, we're creative people, and if we can't, uh, you know, use our creative juices to describe people in a way that sets people free, sets the reader free, and gives the reader a lot of power, you know, we do want to feed their imaginations with good details, but we don't want to be too heavy-handed. So I think it's a, it, it's craft, and I think there are people who are really good at it, and there are people who, who are getting better at it. That I'm hoping to be in that latter category because I struggle. So much with this all the time. So, so I'm trying to improve. So it sounds like um, your your main advice, though, at least in the, from what we're hearing today and from the book, sounds to be avoid avoid the food adjectives and maybe consult a, a color chart or a, a thesaurus and come up with something that's uh, that's at least uh, again, as you said, helping or is um, getting a nice picture in the in the mind rather than than making somebody want uh, a drink. <laughs> I mean, I think you need to know your characters so well. So your primary characters, your secondary characters, if you can't picture them, and they have some kind of ethnic identity, and they have, you know, whether they're, they're what, it, what is even the, what is even white? You know, you you have you have eight. How many do we have? Sixteen great grandparents, and they probably all spoke different languages. If you're if you're so-called white, so I mean, you need to know the ethnic identities of all your characters, and then you need to decide: is it important to point that out at this point in the story? Is it when is it important to bring up, and why am I bringing it up? And I think just um, being reflective about it, especially in such a racially charged culture that we live in. And I think teens are especially especially racially charged right now. When you hear them talk about these things, it's, it's sharp, and it, it's kind of painful sometimes to hear them flashing all this stuff out. So we have to be careful. And, and yet I would say the other piece of advice is go for it, because I think if we get scared, and I think a lot of... Uh, now put this in quote, white writers feel really scared, like, oh, I'm going to come across as racist, or I'm going to come across as using a token character. But I feel like if you don't try things, then you don't learn. And I've known many great writers who said, well, I blew it. Next time I wouldn't have done that, but I tried it. And that's okay. I feel it's better to take the risk and blow it than just play it safe. And then how um, the representation, of course, has, has other layers as well. I mean, one of the stories in, in the book is about uh, a, li a little boy, essentially, who is um, confronting uh, one of his or his uh, his sister uh, about uh, thinking that that his uh, his brother is is gay. And then, of course, it has a twist at the end. I won't ruin the <laughs> the story. But again, so I mean, the representation can also be about about um, things besides uh, race. I mean, sexual orientation or. Um, he said uh, religious or, or um, uh, religious or national identity as much as uh, as uh, as race and 
And so, again, is that is that what you said earlier? Does that just come back to a reference point of, of, of power? Or, I mean, how, I mean, is that something as, as well that you talk about in terms of, uh, of, of teaching, teaching that from a storytelling perspective? Yeah, I think that that story in particular is, it is a question of power. It's, it's more an exploration of how, you know, Latino machismo culture defines masculinity and how narrow that is. Uh, and that's spoken for, and that was written by somebody who's an insider. So we want, we wanted to kind of, yeah, so it's a question of somebody telling you who, that to be Latino, to be a Latino guy, you have to be this way. And it was, uh, you know, more an exploration of what does it mean to be a Latino guy? Can I, can I like these things? Can I, can I like these things and still be a Latino guy? And so, uh, in that sense, that the author was really trying to say, yes, you can. We are all different kinds of Latino guys. And they don't have to fit that stereotype that seems to be, um, you know, pushing against kids in that culture. So, yeah, so it becomes a question of power, of who's defining your identity, who's telling you what, what, you know what your, what your primary identifier is, and that's that's got to be up to the kid. Finding deciding who your what your identity is one of the big tasks of adolescence, and that has to be in the hands of the child becoming an adult. So much of, of what you've written is is kind of geared towards a, a younger audience. Um, is that is that something that was intentional? Did you always seek out to say that, that you wanted a, a younger audience for your work? Or as you said, was that part of it just discovering stories uh, at that time when, when you were growing up as well? Or that was the time you said reflected uh, an important important period for, for stories in your life? I think I'm just stuck at 14. <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't grown up. And then um, talking about representation again, uh, when you one of your books, um, First Daughter, or two of them, I should say, <laughs> the series, um, talked about about uh, a, a daughter who would have, who was the adopted uh, daughter of a politician, and who makes it to the the White House, and so what what that is, it's like. So it's again having having uh, having those two experiences there, and and just kind of curious about. Uh, about representation as a topic, as if you you look at it from from a political lens as well. If you're saying that that um, again, it would just be it's just a unique story anyway. I mean, it's going to be interesting to read about um, anyone who has to be a kid in the White House. <laughs> but but was there was there any intent to look at that and say, but there hasn't been a, uh, a a kid of color in the White House? And then of course after 2008, that's been been the case. And how how much how much does that change having written those books to now say like that's a, a lived reality for for a whole generation of kids now? Like before, yeah, it was fiction, and now it's it's a lived reality. Right. Um, I think that's great. I, I mean, I'd love it if I if I ever found out that either of the Obama girls had read the book. <laughs> uh, but um, that book was again suggested to me by an editor. They wanted me to write a story about a first daughter, and so of course I put in that she's a Pakistani girl because that was I wanted to explore what that's like to be 
you know, thought of as a Muslim. Not so much more the race as it was an issue of her being from a Muslim background and how that might, you know, impact the presidency. People were raising questions. And I guess that's happened with Obama, too, because people bring that question up with him. But, uh, so that was kind of what I was looking at in, that, in those books, that idea of how other she felt uh, because of the origin, oh. origin. So, um, yeah, that was... Oh, sorry about that. Uh, yes, so, uh, just a bit of interference there. <laughs> no, that would be. I imagine we'd all like that letter. But um, uh, essentially, um, was there? Uh, Talking about uh, about uh, rickshaw girl, I mean that would be another case where where again you're you're writing from from that perspective. Is it is it something that's difficult? Maybe less as as a writer. I mean, just really as as a person living in America. I mean, to say um, to say that you have that experience of uh, of saying, oh well, they're you're, you're brown. You must be you must be X or you must be BY. And and maybe even reflecting. I know it's in the news recently about I mean a lot of the comments that were directed to the first Indian uh, American Miss America and and having that be. I mean, kind of the context that we're we're having this discussion in, not intentionally, but <laughs> just a, a week. It really made the news just a week ago. So, I mean, yeah, what right. is is that something that you had to reflect on? I mean, with uh, with writing a book like Rickshaw Girl, or or is it? Uh, I mean, I guess just a, a not an intentional part of the writing, but something that just kind of kind of comes up, as you said, talking about um, with those with the the first daughter books about uh, about uh, having that context of. Of being perceived as brown, so being perceived as having or being from a Muslim background, and so you have to be uh, X or you have to be Y. And forgive me for yeah. the sloppy execution of that question. I know that rambled on there a bit. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I remember after nine eleven how interesting it was to go through security of airports. Uh, I would at some po- sometimes, um, you know, I have my voice, which is very American, so I would realize that I was using my accent, my voice, in a way to show that I wasn't one of them, you know, as I was going through security, I would practice the discipline of not speaking. And sometimes I would, like, wear a headscarf, just to see what that felt like, um, to kind of see what, what was different when I couldn't speak, when I when I was wearing different clothing, how, how were people handling me. And it was very, it was hard. And I wanted to just say, hey, I'm from California, where are you from? And make sure they knew. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting season for, I think, for South Asians, because we were not used to being the ones that were looked at with suspicion, but now, you know, that's definitely much more the case. So, so yeah, so when I write a book like Rickshaw Girl, about a little Muslim girl, and I'm hoping that a third or fourth, that's my youngest book, so a third or fourth fifth grader really likes my main character, really makes a connection that, so that when they read about Bangladesh later on in life or encounter anybody from that part of the world, there will be an affection there for for that person based on the, on the relationship they made through the book. So that's always a hope with literature, is that you allow kids to um, to realize that you have so many human connections that it doesn't really, that you can you can befriend almost anybody. So that's, yeah, that's one of my goals for every book I write. 
and hopefully that's a, a good goal for for any author. <laughs> and forgive me because, yeah. and that's part of why I appreciate the the open mic book, and and why it's it's even difficult sometimes to to have these conversations, and from uh, from the perspective of writing them as an article to say um, to say, well, this is the the topic that we're going to discuss, and it's like you wouldn't be here if you weren't a good author, or if you didn't have an have an audience, uh, or that that enjoyed your works, and it's it isn't exceptional because of um, because of the the race of the characters. So that's that's just unfortunately because of the the few <laughs> I, I should say the, the the narrow nature of of just how many books like that are published of on a year is the is the thing that makes that stand out. Not the fact I mean not the fact that it isn't or it isn't a good book. It's a good book. That's why it stands out. So I, I just uh, and I appreciate I appreciate the the fact that you're willing to anyone who's willing to come on and, and talk about these things for for that reason. So um, gosh, I just again mostly just wanted to say thank you and and just see if there was anything at all that you wanted to to close with. Uh, I mean, just see where people can find your work online and anything that you wanted to to add to to kind of close out the discussion. Twitter, Mattelli Perkins. You can find me on my blog. You can uh, find our open mic anthology on Facebook, and you can you know, share your own stories. We really like to hear. We really like just wanted to see a first shot and have other people step up to the mic and share your own stories of what you know, just what the funny was, or what strange was, or what the eccentric was, and uh, of what what life was like when when you weren't didn't feel part of the mainstream. And that could be involve a lot of different situations. So we're hoping to start that conversation over there on Facebook. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just so encouraged in the industry how many more people are thinking about these issues. When I first started blogging about them, it just felt like I was one little lonely voice with a couple of other people. But I feel like it's really beginning to penetrate the whole children's book industry, and it's very encouraging um, to see that discussion happening on many, for many fronts. So I'm glad about that. And grateful for all the other people who have championed books like mine and um, through the years. It takes, it takes a lot of champions, but I'm grateful for them. Oh, well, again, thank you so much for, for your time, and uh, I just uh, appreciate you doing this. Um, if uh, if we are able to do it for the uh, the podcast, as I said, I apologize. There were a couple of moments where we were getting some feedback on the uh, uh, on the recordings so that may not be the case. But I'd still like to, to see if you could do uh, a quick throw to for us um, that we would use to to lead into to any interview, and then um, so it would just be saying uh, your name, um, saying uh, saying the name of the book, open mic. Uh, and uh, and saying that you are listening to kind of epic show. That's kind of an epic show. Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> and it comes off that way, but no, it's a kind of epic show. Kind of epic show. Okay. You got it. I can see that. Sure. My name is Natalie Perkins. Uh, my book is Open Mic: Rift on Life Between Cultures in Ten Voices, and you're listening to Kind of Epic Show. Oh, thank you so much. Again, I hope you have a great day. Goodbye. This is the part of the episode where we do the shameless self-promotional plugs, which is great because it's just after the author has done the awesome shameless self-promotional plugs, which actually it's not, it's not, there's no shame associated with trying to plug your stuff. We want to eat. And even if we're doing this podcast for free and don't get any money, actually, yeah, it actually has no relation. No, it doesn't. Can we restart this one? No, keep going. I, I'm told I'm going to keep going in my awkward outro. Well, anyway, we want you to follow us on Facebook. We want you to follow us on Twitter. We want you to follow us in real life, but not creepily. We want you to uh, enjoy. Gabe, Gabe, I'm going to interrupt here. I, w I wouldn't be turned uh, away from being creepily followed in real life. That's a sad commentary on your life, David West. 
my girlfriend might have some issues with it, but I, I'd be like, yeah, what's up? Okay, so if you're a creepy psycho stalker and you're a fan of the show, David West lives at... Hey listeners, this is Micus, creator of the kind of epic theme song, Zombie Kids. If you're interested in finding out more about my music, you can check me out at micusmusic.com. Also, I am on iTunes, Facebook, and SoundCloud. You can look me up as Micus Music, and that's M-I-K-U-S, and you know the rest. Alright, peace out everyone. Keep listening.